liar, scandal, cover-up, crisis, accuse, attack. Journalists have to be careful with the words they use. A single misplaced word in a headline or story can do lasting damage because words have power. So we all try our best to use the right words to describe what's going on in the world. Earlier this summer, authorities in Australia announced that they would move away from the word attack as a blanket term when announcing a human-shark interaction, instead opting for phrases like negative encounter or simply a shark bite. The story went viral, and many shark scientists are happy to see the language that's used around sharks reworked to be more scientific, and hopefully dispelling misconceptions around the species being man-eaters in the process. But the move's been criticized by others, including survivors who have been injured by sharks and left with mental scars, too. And they don't want their experiences to be watered down by careful wording. Today, we are talking to an Australian shark biologist who is pushing for a language shift when it comes to shark encounters, and two survivors who share their take on the change, and why some words can be just as damaging as a shark bite. Before we get into the modern shift in language around sharks, let's get to a little history. The term shark attack is actually more of a recent development, at least down under. So in Australia, at least, prior to 1933, interactions with sharks were actually reported as accidents in the media and in local newspapers. And then what happened was there was a surgeon called um, Dr. Vic Coppelson, and he effectively coined the term, or the popular phrase, shark attack. And it's kind of taken off since then. Um, and then you obviously have the, you know, the famous Jaws movie and that stereotype perpetuated. So it's kind of just become part of, I dare say, not just the Australian vernacular, but also globally, just the vernacular when it comes to talking about sharks and, and, how, um, and how they interact with humans, particularly in a negative sense. That was Leonardo Guida from the Australian Marine Conservation Society, a shark biologist who supports the shift away from calling every shark encounter an attack. He says that, from a scientific perspective, this language should change to more accurately reflect what actually happened with a shark. Many are quick to call any brush with a shark an attack, when that might not actually be the case. A shark bite is quite a rare occurrence, and even rarer still is when a shark actually, you know, undergoes a predatory strike with the intention of consuming a person. That, that, that's even rarer still. And in that case there, it may very well be a genuine attack with the intention of consumption. But in saying that, again, the onus is on the scientists to go, well, you know, wh whether it's to the, to the granular level of, you know, somehow physiologically or behaviorally, could we tell that that was a shark's intention? People might say, well, why don't you just call it as it is, you know, a shark attack? Um, and the irony is that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to call it as it is. We're trying to call it accurately what it is, whether it's a shark being defensive or whether it's simply a shark swimming by. Because um, not all interactions result in a bite, yet you often see, particularly in sensationalist media, monster shark, shark attack, and really the tail might have hit the board and the shark swam off. Words can paint a picture. If I told you a man was attacked by a shark, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? A great white shark attacking a swimmer from below? A tiger shark slamming into a swimmer's leg? A spiny dogfish stinging their foot? Technically, all of them are correct, but the great white shark might be the image that is most prominent. 
I think the word use is extremely important because we've seen, well, ultimately throughout human history, like the pen is mightier than the sword. And the words you use are the way we view, interpret, and interact with the world and make decisions based on the words we use and the words we hear or the words we read. You know, words have power. How we frame things is how we view the world and interact with it. Leonardo says a shark encounter could be an attack, but it could also be a bite. They may seem similar, but the difference is important. You know, we are calling it as it is. We're saying, actually, in some cases, the shark was defensive and it was a bite. It nicked someone's toe. Um, in very, very, very rare cases, all right, we might have to explore the possibility that it was a genuine attack. But the point is, is that we use the nuance accurately and appropriately. Um, and other examples are like, if, if I was to ask your audience to go, all right, picture a dog bite versus a dog attack. Picture a snake bite versus a snake attack. A spider bite versus a spider attack. And already, I, I, I'm quite confident in saying that your mind has already pictured two very different scenarios. And how you picture those scenarios and how you frame that, that worldview is then, you know, if, if we stretch it out a little bit, is then going to flow onto political decisions political decision makers and then how they make those decisions based on what the public think or feel. People are afraid of sharks, but as we've shared many times on this podcast, sharks are an endangered species. But the way certain media portrays them, you'd think they are man's top predator. Shark attacks or negative encounters are incredibly rare, but media can latch on to sensationalism, and this creates a misunderstanding of the actual danger of sharks while overlooking how endangered they truly are. That is another major reason for the language shift, according to Leonardo, to aid in the conservation of this essential part of the ocean's ecosystem. Moving away from the man-eater myth will hopefully help shift public opinion to helping sharks, not just being afraid of them. Leonardo admits that the language issue lies in a gray area, and scientists need to take shark attack victims' experience into account. A scientist may not think of a shark interaction as an attack, but human experience is also a crucial component of science. But even more importantly is to actually factor in um, the people who, who were involved in, in a shark bite, which is an extremely traumatic experience, regardless of how severe or, or how not severe it is, and really take into account their, their reporting of the event because it may very well be that that person said, look, and I've heard of accounts where people might say, you know, I was swimming and a bull shark bit my leg and it kind of shook and let go and then it came back for a second time and then I was worried it was going to come back a third. So in that case there, I mean, you know, short of being able to interview the shark, if I'm, if I'm going to be a little bit flippant, short of being able to kind of really get to the nitty gritty of it, when you've got an anecdote like that and perhaps an eyewitness who was, you know, on the beach and saw it, you might go, okay, to be safe, it's a shark bite. But at the same time, we might also acknowledge within the reporting that the person felt like the shark was attacking them. Again, like it comes down to how you write it, but the take home message is that, yes, we have to be accurate with how we report um, our interactions with sharks. But also, it really is important that we factor in um, people with lived experience and, and what they see of the event to really capture the accuracy of the event that happened and also have that dialogue because it really is important that that dialogue does occur. I wanted to see what those who have suffered injuries from shark attacks thought of this language change and how words can affect their experience. So I found two members of a shark victim support group for their thoughts. 
In 2020, there were a total of 129 shark attacks in the world, 57 of them unprovoked, according to the Florida Museum of Natural History's International Shark Attack file, which has long been a resource for tracking human-shark interactions. Being injured in a shark encounter is a very rare but very traumatic experience, and each incident can leave a person with physical and mental scars, something that is shared in online support groups like Bike Club. This Facebook group-turned-charitable organization invites those who have suffered from shark attacks to share their stories, recovery challenges, and camaraderie among others who have been through the same pain. It all started with Australian David Pearson, a surfer who survived a shark attack over a decade ago. I caught up with David right before another day of surfing on the same beach he almost lost his life on. And, warning for any sensitive listeners, he explained it in pretty graphic detail. came out of the water and... Um... Its nose got me in the, the right temple and sort of knocked me out a little bit. My right arm was trapped between the top of the surfboard and the top jaw of the shark. So while we're on the bottom of the water, we sort of, you know, danced a little bit until we separated ways. And as I climbed back on my board and, and I looked at my arm that, you know, all the forearm muscle was now hanging off my arm, I realised that I'd just been attacked by a shark, the blood squirting out of my arm. And as I watched the water around me go red, I realized, you know, that things weren't very good. David almost drowned before finally managing to reach shore, where his friends applied first aid on a picnic table before he was sent to the hospital for treatment. He had two broken vertebrae, but a doctor was able to save his arm. As he recovered, he learned that coincidentally, another recent shark attack victim was in the same hospital. So I I sent word from my ward, because we were in different wards, you know, that if... If you would like to have a chat, I'd love to say hi and, and how you're doing. And it was probably nearly a week later by the time, you know, I had enough tubes and stuff disconnected from me to be able to go up and say hi to her. And, and when we were chatting, it was there were so many um, similarities in our stories and we just understood straight away where we were coming from. It was something that, you know, from then on, whenever, you know, when I was having the bad dreams... And, and the nightmares, and, and she was too. We were actually calling each other. We both had similar injuries. We both had left arm injuries. It was from this meeting that Shark Club was born. David would reach out to victims of shark attacks around the world to invite them to their group for support. I'm finding, you know, there's, there's some benefits in talking with others, and, and it just basically grew from there. And, you know, if I did a newspaper story with someone, I'd say, look, can you put me in touch with anyone else you're talking to? He would even search for contact information of shark attack survivors he saw in the media to reach out and offer support. Oh, it's tough. And and it it can be really tough. And, you know, once again, this is great about having somebody to share this with. And, you know, we we now have like 400 people all around the world who are sharing their experiences and helping each other through it. And it's it's like become a a safe haven for them to share their, their dark, you know, their dark times because we've all been there. PTSD is a major issue for shark attack survivors, something Bike Club member Brooke Toussaint from Texas knows all too well. She lost a leg to a shark attack while swimming in January. I just felt just an immense pressure just grab onto my legs. Um, I was very fortunate enough that I had enough adrenaline in my body that I didn't really feel... um, pain from it. She focused on her body's recovery and facing life as an amputee, but the mental scars became more apparent as she entered a pool of water in therapy, which instantly brought back memories of the attack. But after that day, then I did realize, no, I had I had been putting it off. I had been putting it on the back burner 
thinking that because I was progressing physically, then same thing with my mind, but they're not the same. And the mental part is very much a part of the journey with this. When the post-traumatic stress gets you, it's like your world has just fallen apart. That is a tough one to deal with. And um, that ha- the first time it happened to me, I was a couple of hours away from home, driving home one afternoon after work. And um, the next thing I'm pulled up beside the road, shaking, you know, bawling my eyes out and my life has just fallen apart. And, and it's going like, how am I going to go on? It was a tough one to, to come to terms with. And I, I learned to turn it around. Facing their experience is an important part of their mental recovery. David and Brooke are both critical of avoiding the word attack when it comes to human shark encounters. When you were telling this to survivors directly that we don't want to call it an attack, we just want to call it an encounter so we can downplay it, that it that's very much validating their feelings of the experience. I think it's already a hard enough thing to deal with, but if someone's invalidating your feelings, you can't process it properly, then then that's where you get things like denial and where you're pushing it off and not truly processing it. And that hinders your ability to heal mentally. David said he has had many conversations with scientists who tell him that he wasn't attacked by a shark, but he isn't convinced. I, I understand the, the savagery of the shark attack, and it, and it is an attack. So, yeah, and I do understand them wanting to wanting to use that language in themselves because what, what I would find is if they're using that language when they're talking about the scientific results, they don't want to put the emotion of an attack. They want to hear the word attack in, in what they're saying. So, you know, behind closed doors when they're doing study, I, I understand, you know, this was a negative shark interaction. This was, I mean, let's face it, there's not many positive ones, I, I guess, when a marine biologist says, you know, straight in my face, um, you weren't attacked, and I, and I go, mate, you weren't there with me. Um, yeah, I was attacked, unfortunately, and, and I wish I wasn't. But um, it's, the, it's just a fact, you know, when somebody hides in the bushes and attacks a young girl heading across a park, we don't say that was a negative enta- encounter. We say it was a, an attack or it was a rape. So. There is some nasty things in our world that we need to, you know, there is unfortunately harsh words that describe them. And my personal view is, you know, if something is harsh and something is tough, kids need to learn that it's harsh and tough. These shark attack survivors don't want to sugarcoat their experience, but certain words and headlines in the media can trigger their PTSD. So efforts to change language around shark encounters can benefit them. We'd had a couple of people that had talked to me about ending their lives, and it was due to basically negative social media and obviously not being able to deal with the the stress after the shark attack. So one of the things we found within our group, and, and we all agree, is newspaper headlines that have the words um, man-eater, lurking, menacing, you know, them sort of things are, are not good. A, a shark attack is usually a opportunistic, a, an opportunistic event where the shark is obviously motivated enough to want to eat something and you look like you're good enough to eat. And um, at that time, the shark thinks it's going to have a go. I don't think it was lurking in the ocean waiting for me to go out for a paddle. And it certainly wasn't menacing me, because if it was menacing me, I would have been out of the water already. So, you know, yes, I I do agree. We should be reducing the headlines for words like, you know, man-eater, 
um, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it is an attack and, and we need to call it what it is. In talking to David and Brooke, I learned that they have no ill will towards the sharks. The animals were just operating on instinct. And they think that better PR for sharks is a good goal to strive for. That creates fear in the community and that's what they're trying to back away from because these are endangered animals still and they're trying they're fighting to protect them but it's harder if they don't have the support of the community behind them it's fine to want to protect these animals and everything i don't see a lot of people that wish harm on the sharks or anything but that doesn't mean that we don't still have strong feelings about our incidences, um, I'll say as a blanket term. Encouraging different words in headlines by using different language can help, but it isn't just the words on top of articles that can have a negative impact on these survivors. David told me that one of the hardest things to deal with after his attack was the flood of negative, hateful comments on articles and social media. And some of the comments were, you know, quite derogatory about about myself, you know, and, and I'm thinking, wow, what have I done to these people to um, to cause them to, to lash out at me? And I was attacked by a shark, you know, like, and um, it, it's been a big part of, of why I've been reaching out to others because um, I, I never understood the, the animal that social media can be until, until my shark attack. And, and I see it after most shark attacks now. And, and it is quite disgusting, some of the, the comments that people put up, and especially while You've still got someone who's, you know, laying in hospital in intensive care. One of the comments that I got was, um, I, I bet you're going to go out and kill all the sharks now because you were attacked. It, it's horrible. And, and you get them sort of comments on every social media post that's about a shark attack. And These hateful words definitely affected David. And he said that it is something many other survivors have experienced, adding more burdens on top of other struggles like dealing with pain and substance abuse issues. But words can also heal, and the words shared in Bike Club, speaking to their experiences and not keeping things inside, keep them on the path to recovery. It is difficult to see other stories, but it is ultimately beneficial because it does remind me that there are still things to work on and to still process. But yes, it is ultimately helpful to see others and to share that commonality and to be able to relate so much. It's always so helpful to hear from another that can relate truly, that empathy, not just sympathy. So to talk to others and them to say, hey, I understand what you're going through and I know what it's like and this is helpful to me. And to get that from like 100 people, it's amazing. Leonardo made it clear that while he supports steering the language change around sharks for the sake of scientific accuracy and avoiding misinformation, there is still a long way to go. I've spoken to a few shark bite survivors myself. I'm almost, I, I try as much as I can to be super conscious and super sensitive of, of, of when we do talk about it. And I think that they are right. Like there's no reason that their experience should be diminished. Again, I think it comes down to the balance of make sure the scientific information is crystal clear. It's accurate, you're reporting it accurately, and this is what the science currently says. But then also say, 
there is a distinct human element of it. This is the human experience of it. This is what people believed happened or felt that would happen. And I think that way there, when you've got that balance, you can leave people to kind of make their own mind up and then I suppose have them inquire further and understand the issue a bit better themselves. Um, I don't necessarily think it should be one way or the other. Um, and I think that's probably the most ideal path forward. But again, we're in this space where I think this language change is slowly happening. It's kind of just kicking off. So I think inevitably there are going to be some teething issues like with any form of any change. Um, but so long as we keep in mind the human experience of the event, but also understand that, you know, we have to be accurate in how we report from a scientific perspective and also from an informative perspective, then I think that's the best we can do so far and as we move forward. Thank you for listening to Shark Tales, a podcast created in partnership with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. You can find deep dives with shark researchers on all kinds of shark topics in seasons one and two. Find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.